A great deal of conversation has erupted in our country about the subject of immigration. I feel the conversation deeply because I myself am an immigrant. I am a naturalized U.S. citizen. I became a citizen of this country right here in Indianapolis in 2002. And so sometimes, because of the way I see the world in my past, I forget that you are immigrants too. <laughs> that we are a nation of immigrants. That we have all come, maybe not ourselves, but our forefathers on a boat from somewhere, whether willingly or unwillingly. We have all come from these different places in the world to come together in this place at this time. And we find ourselves now in this place and in this time and in this space of history where we find natural-born Americans deeply polarized and divided over the issues that relate to our collective future. The normal of our political now is to watch people who have been born in the same place come at each other's throats, totally unable to find the common ground necessary to get along. Meanwhile, people are coming to our country every day from all over the world who don't even speak the language, who can't even read the street sign, and they concentrate themselves together in small communities, even in small apartments, unifying themselves together in the face of racism and opposition and difficult economic circumstances, but they have learned how to pool their resources, and maybe four to five families living in a small apartment and we are not surprised, and maybe we are surprised, to find out only within a short time that they own the entire apartment complex that they are living in because they have understood the power of unity and of coming together. In that reality, there's something that's very difficult for us to say. Why can't we can't come together? Why can't we be unified? The missing ingredient is unity. Anytime people unify, they are better together than they are apart. And this is the message of the book of James. The message of James, what he would want to communicate to you, it is all about unity. It was the issue that James faced personally. This is the first book of the New Testament ever to be written down. I don't know if you knew that. It was the one that was the most urgent. It was the most appropriate. It needed to be written down within only a few years of the ascension of Jesus in A.D. 42. The author does not need to assert his credentials or say, I am like Paul did where he says, I'm an apostle or, or Peter, I'm an apostle or John, I'm an elder. He has no need for such qualifications because everybody knows who he is. He is James, none other than the half-brother of Jesus. He is the son of, of Mary and of Joseph. And he did not believe at first. He had a very difficult believing uh, time believing that his brother was the Messiah. Would, wouldn't you? And so he struggles with that. In fact, he and his siblings and his mother at some point go to take charge of Jesus. They don't understand him. They think he's out of his mind, and so they want to take him back. But after the resurrection, after he has an encounter with the risen Jesus, everything has changed. And he is powerfully uh, transformed, and, and he becomes the leader, the spokesman, really the pastor of this entire new church that is forming in Jerusalem. And the church is not only a few days old, and difficulty begins to arise. It's just a short period of time when conflict begins to come in. Great issues that begin to separate this new church. Issues of, of racism, divided over, over ethnic backgrounds 
divisions over legalism, deliver, uh, division over point of view, and then persecution comes into the picture. And so now James begins to write, writing to scattered uh, Jewish Christians, Jewish believers who were once unified, who were once in one accord, who were once in one place together in mind and heart, but now they are dispersed, they are separated, they are scattered they, by persecution, by racial tension, by legalism, by differing points of view, scattered. And James now writes this letter to say, let me speak as the pastor, Pastor James, writing to you, the scattered, and calling you to unity and the maturity that it's going to require to come into unity. Because without maturity, we scatter, we fragment, and we divide. Let me give you the definition of maturity from James's own book. This is, you might want to write this down. What is maturity and what does it look like? Maturity is submitting to something that is greater than you, an idea, a vision, something that's greater than you for the sake of unity. Now that's good right there, if I didn't say anything else. But think of Jesus who embodied this principle in his own life when in the Garden of Gethsemane he submitted to the very will of his father saying, Father, you can't have one agenda and I have another agenda. So he prays three times in the garden, Father, if it would be your will that this bitter cup would pass from me. But finally he unifies himself and aligns himself with the will of the father saying, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That is the picture of maturity. It does not have to be my way. Not my will, but yours be done. All through the Bible. Think about Hagar, uh, the, the, the servant girl of Sarah and Abraham. And the angel would come to her and say, Hagar, it's going to take maturity to go home and submit yourself to your master's wife. You have to bring your will into that place of unity. You can't walk around angry and puffed up and contentious and expect to succeed. Don't you realize that your attitude limits your ability to succeed? You can't be angry and be successful. You can't be an angry person and prosper. Angry people get sick and angry people have heart attacks and, and people withdraw themselves from angry people and don't want to be around them and angry people are embittered and it doesn't matter how much they have but they can't enjoy it. So how can you say you're successful if you can't even enjoy what you have because you're embittered and angry? And the angel comes to Hagar and says, you are going to have to grow up and you're going to have to go back and submit yourself to your, your, your mistress, to, the, to, to, to this boss of yours and you're going to have to come back because it's going to take maturity in you. But you've got to be unified because I need you to be in that house where my blessing is going to be upon you. Are you with me? Can you say amen? amen. You understand? Do you hear what I'm saying? So think of the maturity that's required in our marriages. When the scripture says, let a man leave his father and his mother and let him cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Think about the, the maturity and the submission that has to go on to become one. So many divorces today because people just had a ceremony and they're not united in marriage. She's in it for what she wants. He's in it for what he wants. And there's no coming together. They just really share the same house. Which then begs the question, why get married at all? 
because there's no vision for what it's supposed to be. Until you commit to become one, there's no reason to move forward and become better. In order to become one, there has to be a maturity that sees a vision of an us and a we that is greater than a me and a you. That there is something that's bigger, worth going after together, that's better than what we could be alone. Are you listening to me this morning? It takes strength to do that. Submission is not for the weak. It takes power, and it takes uh, security to be a mature person. And so most people never commit to anything that is greater than themselves. And if you just continue to approach life from an individualistic point of view, you can never be successful until you have an us and a we, and you commit to something that's bigger than just you and how you feel and what you think and what you want and how it has to be for you, you can never prosper. And we would be so much better collectively if we would listen to James and just come together. If we could find the maturity to commit ourselves one to another, that the we and the us is more important, you would be shocked at what we could accomplish. You'd be shocked at what we could do. You'd be shocked at what we could come together and do if we could just get in one heart, in one place, in one accord for the purpose and the vision of God. You'd be shocked at what could happen. I mean, if we really just got beyond, like, how can I get to church so I can get that little nugget just for me so I can go back to my world? What if we come together and we saw the strength and the power that unity would provide for us to do something great together? What if we really started coming together and seeing what we are and the force that we are? I don't think we see that. I, I don't think we see, and I invite you to look around. Look around. Look at us. White people, black people, brown people, old people, young people, people from all different backgrounds, and we're here, and we're together, and not just in this service, but in other services, and and you see God bringing us together, and I don't even think we realize the power and the strength that we have collectively, and anything that we don't recognize, and anything that we don't see, we ignore, and we don't appreciate And what we don't see and what we don't appreciate, what we don't recognize, we take for granted. What we take for granted ends up collapsing. So so if you take your job for granted, it's not going to work out. And if you take your marriage for granted, it doesn't work out. And if you take your wife for granted, she collapses. You know, I mean, if, if, if anything that we take for granted, it, does, it collapses over time. Because what, what causes something to thrive and what causes something to be powerful is when we give attention to it and when we give energy to it and we give, and we give to it and we invest in it and we organize around it and we say, this is what's really important. This is what matters. And we give to it over, over just me. You see... That's the power of unity. Without this understanding, everything we are about to learn will be wasted. Without understanding that unity is the greatest commodity in the world, that unity is really what our nation needs more than anything else. It is what this church needs. It's what any endeavor, your marriage, any, if we don't realize that unity is not the greatest power, the, most greatest, the greatest thing we could ever have, 
then all of it will be absolutely wasted. You'll just be wasting your time. And I hate having my time wasted. There's a lot of things I will waste, but do not waste my time. Because if you waste my money, I can get some more money. If you you waste my gas, I can buy some more gas. If you waste my clothes, I can buy some more clothes. But if if you waste my time, it's gone. Time is a limited resource, and it leaves us, and we never get it back. And so we're not just wasting a few minutes or or weeks or wasting a day. What we're wasting is years of our life missing the big point when we don't recognize that unity is the most powerful commodity and that coming together is the most important thing. By refusing to change, by refusing to be mature, by refusing to commit or to grow, or or just to say, it's got to be my way, it's got to be my way, and that didn't work for you last year, it didn't work the year before that, or even how many years going back, and you find out that stubborn resistance is like a thief that comes into your house and takes away your time and your opportunity and leaves you with nothing till the day you get old and look around and you're saying, woulda, coulda, shoulda, and you miss out on what you could have been. I don't know who I'm talking to you today. I'm talking to somebody. Don't waste the opportunity that's in front of you. Don't waste the opportunity to give yourself to something great and something that's bigger than you. And so in the context of this conversation, I want to address something that needs to be addressed, that just needs to be said. Some people would say, well, I don't like big churches. I feel more connected in a small church. Some of you came here because you said, well, I didn't like my big church, and I like this church that's smaller. And some of the people who left here, and they said, this is too big for me because I don't like big churches. Let me explain something. It is not the size of a church that gives you the feeling. It's commitment that gives you the feeling. I want you to hear this. It is commitment that gives you the feeling. You didn't feel better. It felt better in the small church because you were committed there and you were submitted there. And you don't feel the same here because you're new and you're not committed. You're, you're not, so, you're, so you don't, but if you never commit, you don't get the feeling. And some of you were here for a while and, and you were committed, but you started to wane. You said, I don't, maybe they don't need me so much anymore. Or you, sculpt, you went back on your commitment. You just kind of waned and now you feel what? Disconnected. But for those of us who are committed here, who are vested here, who are invested here, we feel connected. And we'll always feel connected. And we'll stay right here and we will continue to be connected no matter how big it gets. Oh, I'm just walking right in where all of you live. It's all right. I still love you. I'm just preaching with passion today. I still love you. Let me ask you, let's just get really real about this. Why would you leave a big church to prefer a small church and then pray, God help us to reach people? Let's just have some common sense about that. Why would you say, I want to go where the gospel is preached, but I don't want anybody else to come? Should the church be a small cluster of people that doesn't want anybody to join it, isolating themselves from the community, us for and no more? Is that what it's about? Absolutely not. That is the total opposite of what Jesus had in mind. Jesus actually said to his believers to go into all of the world and to preach the gospel to every person and urge them to come in that my house may be full. Full. 
And so Pastor James is speaking to the scattered, divided, you know, fragmented believers saying, come together back for the mission of Jesus. I know that the Lord has used you to, you know, use different means to scatter you, but wherever you go, come together and get back centered around the mission of Jesus. News flash, the church is not here for you. I'm sorry, don't be mad at me. Just take it up with the Lord. That's what he said. It's not me. I'm not, I'm not angry with you. I'm just saying, why, what's the big deal? Or is it just about you? What is the big deal? I, I pray. I mean, I've, I've prayed, God, I want you to reach every person that's, that, you know, that the scripture says that, that all who were appointed to believe, believed. And I don't know who they are, but I want that message to go out to every person in this city that God has appointed to believe someday. I don't know who they are, but I want them to hear it. And I pray over every one of these chairs. And you might be sitting in one of them this morning. And I prayed over the chairs at HSC. And I say, God, bring just one person to sit in this chair and minister your love and your grace and your healing healing power and open the mind of the person sitting in that chair. And when this place all fills up, then we do it all again. We add some more. We find another service. We fill them a different time. We reach out to new locations. We launch out new churches. Why? What is it that drives us? It's not about us and our comfort. It is because we are obeying and want to do the mission of God and unify around something, a vision that's bigger than ourselves. I can't help it. I'm sorry if I'm too excited for you. Have, have you ever said this? I, I don't really want to belong anywhere. I hear what you're saying, but I just want to be able to keep my options open and be free to just kind of float around. I don't really believe in committing anywhere. So, so what ends up happening is, is that your maturity becomes stunted. You become your own God and your own idol and you worship at the idol of your opinion. Teaching yourself, selecting for yourself, being your own resource, teaching yourself. And your revelation is not filtered through a system and a structure of order and submission. The body of Christ that God set up where we would have to work out that which we are learning. Instead of just being a, a, an isolated opinion maker. And there's too many of those today. They write blogs today. Angry church guys who know the word but have none of its power. They have no love in their heart. They're not committed or submitted to anything and anyone. And their whole view is completely distorted, believing ridiculous things because they've never actually gotten in and rubbed shoulders with real people who are trying to just follow the Lord. You have got to become committed to something that's bigger than you if you expect to grow. And if you don't commit yourself and say, for my life as a follower of Jesus, I've got to get committed with some other Christians, you are missing the whole point. Have you ever committed your whole life to something that you believed in that was greater than you? Have you ever submitted yourself to a vision greater than you? Have you ever sacrificed for a vision greater than you? Have you ever given to a vision that's greater than you? God never meant for us to have small dreams and small ambitions. He wants us to have big visions. Actually, the only ones that are wrong are the ones that we think up ourselves and try to do ourselves. 
the big visions that God has for us are what we can only do together. They're so big that no one person can do it, and it requires, it requires us to come together with the Spirit of God. There is nothing wrong with the great God vision that is bigger than all of us together. I want to spend the rest of my life doing something that's bigger than me. I want to spend the rest of my life doing things that, is, that are far beyond what I could ever accomplish on my own, that I, I don't even have the capacity to figure out, but I want to uh, adapt and mold and stretch and grow and be submitted to and be connected to a growing group of believers that say we and us will say yes to whatever the Lord says to us and we will do his will in this city and around the world for the glory of God. Preach, Darren Chesky. That was so good. I learned that from John Jenkins. Can I go deeper with you? Genesis chapter 11. We just read it. The people said, lest we be scattered, let us build ourselves a city, a tower that reaches towards heaven. And the people got together. They committed to one another. They said, we are going to do something that no one of us can do, but we're going to build a city. We're going to build this tower, and it's going to be bigger. I wonder what would happen if we would say to one another, well, let's build something. Instead of tearing down, instead of ripping up, instead of just destroying, let's come together and build our lives together. I wonder what would happen if you even just said that in your marriage, and you said, honey, we're going to build together. It's not going to be just about me. It's not going to be just about you, but together we're going to build something. I know I've got cracks and I know you've got cracks, but I'm going to cover you and you're going to cover me. And together we're going to build something that's greater than either one of us could do alone. We got to build something. That's what it's about. Quit fighting about who's right and who. Why waste your life with that stuff? Where are we going? What does God have for us? What are we going to accomplish for him and for his kingdom? You want to really live? You want your marriage to thrive? Commit yourself to something greater, the we and the us instead of the me and the you. Oh, I want to get right in there and talk to you like it's just me and you today. Because I want your life, I want you to experience what Jesus was talking about when he said, I came that you would have life and you would have it to the full. Well, that can't happen pursuing individualistic agendas. So God comes down to see what these people are building. That's the stunning thing about this. That they come together, they say, we're going to build. And the cry goes out, let's build. Before it's too late, before we run out of time, before we run out of opportunity, before uh, you know, we get old and get into the grave, and while we've still got the momentum, let's do it, let's, let's do it. And they start, and they get unified, and God comes down to see what they're doing. What, what are you saying? Like, yeah, he came down after they got together, so... So this is what the people did without God? That's right. That's the power of unity, raw unity all by itself. It's amazing. And God comes down to see what they're doing. And you know what he says? Listen to this. Indeed, the people are one. When they submit to a vision that's greater than themselves, God says if they keep working together like this, if they keep coming together, they're going to be unstoppable. If you keep coming together, your marriage will be unstoppable. If you keep coming together, your family will be unstoppable. If you keep coming together as the people of God, your church is unstoppable. Your business will be unstoppable when you get the vision right. 
I wonder what would happen if we got a, really got that mission to commit ourselves and build the kingdom of God instead of just coming to church like it was the movies. And we said, we said God, we really don't want to just attend. We want to be a part of what it is that you're going to do in the world. I wonder what would happen. That cry went out, let's build. They did. God comes down and says, look at these people. And for whatever reason, which isn't clear exactly, but God determined that this was not the right plan for these folks. So it's interesting, if you don't get caught up in why he stops them, just think about, think about how he stops them, all right? Because that's really what's incredible to me. God says the only way we can stop them, he comes down from heaven to the tower they're building and he divides them by language. Because you cannot work with or be united to people you don't understand. So that's what he does. He comes and confuses their language. And I wish I had the time just to develop this right here. I mean, we have the same tools, we have the same bricks, we have the same mortar, the same architectural plans, but the city building project has stopped because now we don't understand each other. And you can only work with someone you understand. And the people who could have done anything are now scattered into tribes according to languages. They started going their own way with people who could only think just like them. And they began not to build big things anymore, but little things. They broke into cliques of people that they could understand. But if you're gonna be a part of a great thing, if you're gonna do something big with your life, you cannot have a tribal mentality. Look at the developing countries of the world. The ones that continue to struggle with the tribal system. They can never become a great nation because of the tribal warfare that's going on on the inside. Look what's happening to us, to our political system that has polarized us into tribes and national growth is completely stunted because we're thinking only as tribes when we should be thinking as one, as a nation. And when a nation decides that we're going to be great in our diversity, when our arms are wide enough so that we can say, yes, we can have some different thoughts and we can look different and talk different and sing different and come together, that's when growth can happen. That's what happens in a great church when God brings all kinds of people together. Did he not say that in a great house are vessels of gold and silver and wood and clay? I mean, it takes all kinds of us to make the great house. That's what the word of God says. I know some of you are looking at me funny, but come on, I'm trying to wake you up. I did warn you that we were going deeper, did I not? So you may be the best mason in the whole world, you and your mason friends, the best masons in the world, and you still can't build a house because you need the carpenters and you need the electricians and you need the landscapers and the interior decorators and you need people that will plan it and and architects and all of that. And if you only respect you and your tribe and your craft and the way that you think and the traditions you've come from, you can't build anything great. Now listen. So if you're going to build something great, and this is what James is after. He says, I'm about to teach you how to get along and how to understand each other, but I'm telling you, unless you have the vision, it'll all be wasted. He says, you have to come together. I'm gonna teach you how to get along because if you're gonna do something great for God, it will require diversity. Diversity. You're gonna have to work with diverse people and with diversity comes conflict. And with conflict comes the impulse to run and to bail out and to scatter. Do you see what the word of God is saying? When we don't understand, we scatter and we run. And so all the lessons on maturity don't even matter. 
when you run into the conflict, the first thing is not to pray, you know, God, straighten him out. God, straighten her out. Fix them. God, make them see it my way. God, get me out of here. Those aren't the prayers. You know what the prayer of the mature person is who's submitted to something bigger than themselves? They pray, oh, God, I pray that you would remind me of the we and the us, what it is that I committed to. Remind me of what I committed to once again. That's the first prayer. Second prayer, now listen, I wish you'd probably write this down. This would save you all kinds of problems. God, remind me of the thing that I committed to, the we and the us, which is more important than anything. It's greater than me. And then the second one is a prayer. Oh God, give me an understanding heart. Because if there's no understanding, I can't work together. I I want to, but I can't. So I'm praying, God, give me an understanding heart. I'm committed, God. I'm praying that prayer. God, give me the vision of of the we and the us. And now give me an understanding heart. And what's amazing is new thoughts come into your mind after you've made those two prayers. And one of them is simply, you know what, God, if you brought us together, then there must be a reason for what's going on right now. So God, give me an understanding heart. God, if you brought us together, maybe there's something in me which is what needs to heal her or there's something in her that needs to heal me, but I never really saw that before. But God, help me to have, I believe that you want me to understand. (laughs) But you don't get there if you scatter. You don't get there if you start to just hang out with the people that only agree with you. This is why James is writing his book to the scattered Christians. He's saying it's time to come together, to unify, get back in one accord, don't be scattered. And he is gonna teach us how to understand each other and the hard lessons of maturity uh, to become people of maturity. There's five characteristics he's gonna teach us in five chapters, and I wanna just show them to you quickly. It's a roadmap of where we're gonna go. I don't know how many weeks we're gonna be in this. It's gonna be a while. Number one, we got to learn how to be positive under pressure. And James is going to talk about that. He's going to talk about how to be sensitive to people. He's going to talk about how to master our mouths. And, and I think that's going to be about four months in that particular yeah. session. Yeah. How to be a peacemaker and not a troublemaker. He's going to talk about that. And he's going to teach us our pastor, James, our pastor, is going to teach us how to be patient and pray our way through trials and difficulties. They called him Old Camel Knees. That was his name because of the thick calluses that James had on his knees because he spent so many hours in prayer praying for the people that were charged to him. I think he's eminently qualified to teach us about prayer and patience and pressing through until God has an answer. Now, unless you see that the goal is unity, my friends, my family, listen to me, you'll miss the point. You will learn the principles. You'll call yourself mature. You will say, I know what it means to be mature from the book of James, and it'll all be talk. Because when the challenges of diversity come, you will default into your clique, into your tribe, into your little group of people who agree with you, who make you feel right, and you'll say, I'm out of here. I don't need this. I'm gonna, what, why did I get myself into this in the first place? I've seen that immaturity a hundred times as a pastor. So I'm saying it's time for us to go deeper. It's time to leave, as another writer of scripture would say, the, the, the childish things, the milk that we've been feeding on behind, and it's time for us to grow and to become what God would have us to be, the mature Christians. That's why maturity is not what you know. It's not about what you know. 
It's all about what you do. And so let me make this real practical. This is why you need to commit to a church family. I know we live in a day and age where commitment is antithetical to almost everything that you believe in, but I'm saying that God designed it this way, that you would commit yourself to a local church, that you would say, I'm committing myself fully to a vision that's greater than me. I need to commit to the we and the us, and it's not just about me. It matters to be a member of a family, and you can't be mature without it. Sure, you can float from church to church or the internet and scavenge what you need for you, But if you want to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself, if you want to accomplish something with some other people, if you want to grow because of the shaping and the the rubbing and the sandpaper that God will bring into your life through the diversity of others, if that's what you want, you have to commit yourself to a family and say, I am fully engaged to something that's bigger than me. It is us. It is we. And on the basis of that commitment, you begin to grow. Now, I want to tell you something. Here's exactly how it works. You know, you know how commitment works? Commitment is about agreement. Commitment is when we say, okay, we agree. But you know how you get to agreement? Negotiation. Negotiation is when you say, all right, what are the essentials here that we really have to concentrate upon? Because we certainly can't make everything the, mo- the, the mountain. And so we come together and we say, what are the essentials? This is how a church like this works. Because we come together and say, what are the essentials that we agree upon? We'll die on these hills and everything else. We've got so much liberty and freedom and diversity. And we're able to show the maturity of love to one another. I'm amazed that people come to this church for years and years and never go to class, uh, Discovering My Church Family, to class 101. Because the whole purpose of that class is, all right, let's get down to business. What are the essentials? Let's negotiate together. It's not all about what I want. It's not about what you want. But we believe that we are better together than apart. And if we could just come together and do something great for God. So come on, let's negotiate. What are the essentials? And if you can agree on the essentials, then there is so much room for the great diversity of the body of Christ. And then maturity happens when we actually say, and that's all right. I don't have to agree on every single thing. I love you. And that love is where all the great things happen. That's where maturity takes place. I want to call you to something that's bigger than yourself. I want to call you to a vision of something that's greater than just you. And here's the thing. As we go through this series together and we take those principles into your life and unity first... And then the principles begin to come in. I'm telling you, marriages are going to change in this church. And families are going to change in this church. And, and, and stuff at work is going to sort itself out as you figure out how to come into submission. And there's going to be things that happen in our church as we come together as the body of Christ. No longer scattered or half, half committed, but fully unified under the vision of what God would have for us. Our greatest days are ahead. Jesus said, when you're unified as a group of people, there will be nothing too difficult for you. And I want to give my life to something that's greater than me. And so do you. You don't want to waste your life. I don't have time, and you don't have time either. While we have time, there's a passage that says, you know, make the most of the time because the days are evil. Make the most of your time. And let's come together. Let's come together. I think God's got something great in store for us. And it's going to require a lot of maturity. It's time to go deeper. All right? Do you receive that today? All right. Let's give God a great hand of praise for that.
Let that happen, Lord. Amen.